We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, let's talk some NBA. Coming out of the NBA All-Star Game where Jason Tatum won the All-Star Game MVP. Celtics are off to a uh, hell of a start, and it's really about two-thirds of the way through the season. You want to say the second half starts on Thursday for the Celtics, but it's really like the final third of the season starts for the Celtics on Thursday night, and a guy who won a championship here, who knows all about the city of Boston, joins us now on the Harbor One Hotline, ESPN analyst, former Boston Celtic, and now author with his book, The Education of Kendrick Perkins. It is Kendrick Perkins with Gresh and Fourier. Perk, good afternoon. How are you? What's up, my brothers? Thanks for having me on. Well, I know that uh, you've got a big event tonight that uh, we are going to get to, but The Education of Kendrick Perkins with Seth Rogoff is the name of the book. And, Perk, I want to start with this. You're a, you are straight country. And at 18 years old, you are thrown into the city of Boston. What the hell was going through the mind of 18-year-old Kendrick Perkins when you went from small-town Texas to the big city that is Boston? Well, well, to tell you how country I was, I didn't even know anything about shipping cars. So I drove 30 hours from Texas to Boston. (laughs) So that's the first thing, but... You know what? I didn't know what to expect. All I knew is that I, I never experienced snow, so I wanted to see what a, win, a winter actually felt like. But when I got here, it was a complete culture change uh, just on everyday living, right? When you think about, you know, being down south, uh, for us, the food was different. I went from eating gumbo and fried fish to eating clam chowder and, and, and lobster rolls. But... Um, it was more – I didn't know what to expect. I was just happy that I was drafted and was on my way to start my journey, to be honest, and I was just going to figure everything uh, out when I got here. But then reality hit when I had to go grocery shopping and I just went and got Gatorades and snacks and realized that it was more to that, that I needed toilet paper and paper towels and, and, and detergent. But I think it was the organization, man. It was the new ownership and with Grossback and Steve and Dr. Cash along with Danny and the vets that I had that helped me get through that process and made it easy for me. So when you're when you're, you know, in the AAU circuit, you're traveling all over the place, you're winning championships in Texas, and then you get drafted out of high school, like what was the first like, you know, come to Jesus moment where you said, Uh oh, this this is a little bit more challenging than I had originally expected? Playing basketball, that is. Well, well, the first day of training camp, when I had to get on the scale and get my body fat tested, and you're watching all the guys come in, they taking their shirts off, and you see that they got abs, and body fat percent is at 10%, 6%, and then all of a sudden I get up there and mine at 24%. That was the first reality check that I had to get in shape. Uh, The second one was when training camp actually started. Uh, The pace. The two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour practice, 
uh, everything about it, the workload on on my legs and my body, uh, I knew I wasn't ready. And that was the reality check of, of actually not actually being in the rotation or being that guy and had to work and earn my spot. So being on the injury reserve list, not playing my first season, dealing with embarrassment from, like, you know, people in your hometown saying, oh, you didn't even get any minutes. That was the reality check in itself. Like, I got work to do. Kendrick Perkins is with Gresh and Fourier here on WEEI, the book. The education of Kendrick Perkins is out. And in fact, tonight, uh, the education of Kendrick Perkins moderated by John Corrales. It's in partnership with uh, Brookline Booksmith Arts at the Armory in Somerville. That is tonight at 7 o'clock. Uh, you can go to the Wilbur.com slash armory slash artist slash Kendrick dash Perkins. And each ticket comes with a copy of the book, The Education of Kendrick Perkins. And Perk, you're you're very open about your journey and your life and things like issues like race and fatherhood and things like that. But I want to know, you you talked about what it was like when you first got to Boston. How long did it take before Kendrick Perkins felt comfortable as a basketball player on the floor in the NBA? How long was that process before you knew you belonged? You know what? It took me two years. It took me two years, and I think it was a game where I played against the Philadelphia 76ers uh, against Allen Iverson, and I remember I had like 13 rebounds. And that was the moment when when Gary Payton came up to me and said, oh, yeah, you put in work, big fella. And right there was that moment for me. It was like, oh, okay, I could go out here and actually compete. But it actually took me two years to realize that, like, to be able to to handle the physicality of it, to be able to handle the speed of the game, to be able to think on the fly, uh, to be able to anchor defense and communicate and talk defensive coverages out, that was the defining moment for me. But it took a process for me to get to that moment. And, like, it wasn't, like, an easy process because I wasn't happy. Like, you know, I'm watching – a lot of guys like Chris Bosh, and I'm watching LeBron James, and I'm watching TJ Ford, guys that I actually played against. I'm actually watching them actually get minutes as soon as they come into the league. And I had to wait my turn. Well, I had to earn my turn. And so, but that moment right there against the 76ers was like, okay, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. So, you know, in the book, The Education of Kendrick Perkins, um, you know, there's some, there's a, there's, just, just like Gresh was saying, there's, it's more than just basketball. It, you know, there's reading some of the things like more of a, an awakening that you had regarding larger issues that affected not only you but fellow players and Black Americans. What were some of those things that you noticed and that uh, that that caused you to create, to write this book? Well, I think it was it was like surprisingly, a lot of people would think. When I say culture change, when I when I came from Texas to Boston, they would think that, oh, you was coming from the South with Southern hospitality, you coming up North where, you know, it had been rumors or whatever the case may be about racism in Boston, but we never actually, my family and I never experienced that here. And I think when I dove into it, it was more so talking about the moments that I experienced actually racism in my own hometown. And it's still going on today. Like, you know, 
I was in, I think, middle school when the James Bird uh, Junior killing happened in Jasper, Texas. And so I had to dive into my area and let people know that, like, it exists deep down south just like it does everyone, everyone, everywhere else, especially probably at a high level. But everything that went on over the last three years, when you think about George Floyd and you see guys like Jalen Brown and, and Malcolm Brogdon, like just those young guys in particular that were standing on the front line that uh, approached their interviews uh, after game and after games and were speaking like a true leader. Like you could tell they were well-educated, like well-prepared, and you could tell that they were born leaders. And during my time in the league, like, guys wasn't stepping on the front line like that. Like, me as a 24-year-old, I, I would never never have stepped up to the plate and went out and addressed, you know, social justice or, or, or racism or things that was going on in the world. But these guys now, in this day and age, they're different. And what I witnessed was I witnessed them somewhat get the whole NBA attention from – their ownership groups along with Adam Silver that they was like, no, nah, like we going to make a change right now. Like y'all going to support us in this movement. And they actually got it done. Pretty amazing. When you think about it, Kendrick Perkins here with Gresh and Fourier. Uh, the book is the education of Kendrick Perkins. Uh, again, it is on sale now. And of course you can go hang out with Perk and John Corrales tonight, seven o'clock. Uh, the Wilbur.com has all the information and each ticket with everything going on at arts at the armory tonight in Somerville comes with a copy of the, uh, the education of Kendrick Perkins. Perk, can we talk some real-life basketball now? You played on world championship teams. You played on great teams. But the Boston Celtics through 60 games this year have been absolutely fantastic, Perk. How do you put into words what you have seen from the Celtics so far this season? As expected. Wow. I expected them. Yeah, I expected them to be this good. I mean, but – you think about you think about coming into the season and the additions and what they had already and the growth that of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, right? You add Malcolm Brogdon, who's a starter probably on majority of other teams in the league, right? So you got him coming in off your bench. Um, you have Grant Williams, who is one of the best role players in the game today. And now you have a training camp uh, now you're able to have a full training camp with a Derek White who just won Eastern Conference Player of the Week, uh, you know, two weeks ago or whatever, right? So I'm looking at this team, and I knew they was going to hit the ground running just because I heard Jason Tatum's statements about him not having a great offseason, meaning he lost sleep and he was stressed out about his finals performance. I knew he was going to come back in attack mode. So – the regular season, right, I expected them to come out and be the best team in the league, right, because they have so much talent. I also expected them to be a 55-plus win team this season, and they're going to be that. But the Celtic standard is not regular season. Like, anything short of reaching the finals again is a bust, in my opinion, when you look at this roster. So, 
you know, that's 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 like if you wanted me to sum it up in words, I would say as expected. So, Perk, what do you think the one thing, the one thing that would trip this team up in the finals would be? Like, what's your biggest concern when they get to the playoffs and and deeper into the playoffs? So, I, I have two concerns, right? The one concern is is that Robert Williams and his availability, like, okay, he missed, you know, I think the first two and a half months of the season. All right, and he comes back, and we haven't seen him available consistently. Like, I, I need to see where he plays five or six games straight at a high level, and, and he's able to handle the workload. Because Jason Tatum said it himself. He said Robert Williams is the most important piece to us trying to complete the mission. And so if, you, if you're trying to get through a Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis and Brooke Lopez, you're going to need Robert Williams. If you happen to face the Philadelphia 76ers and Joel and B, you're going to need a healthy Robert Williams. So I need to see a, 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 a stretch of games where he's playing and not sit and not having to sit out because I'm a little concerned in that area. And then secondly, I need to see Coach Joe Mazzula in the moments where it matters the most. Like I need to see if he match up against a Tom Thibodeau or Eric Spolscher or Doc Rivers, is he going to be able to make those in-game adjustments? Is he going to be able to make adjustments through a seven-game series? Is he going to be able to counter what coaches throw at him and mix up his rotations and his lineups? If the, if that, those are the only two concerns that I have. is And, and I need to see more out of Coach Mazzulla because let's be honest, right? Like, this team's so talented that, like I said before, they was going to win a lot of games in a regular season. But I just seen some games this season where Coach Missoula had to come to the stand and say, it was my bad. Like, I'm working to get better. Well, now we're getting towards the end of the season, and they got Eric Spolster that's sitting back in the weeds. They got Doc Rivers that's sitting back that's going to have a game plan together. Like, it's going to be times where he's going to have to put Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in position to be successful and not just solely depend on them and their skill set to be able to get off offensively. Perk, last thing for you. I know that in every, like, college program, they'll always say, well, if we just play such-and-such basketball, you know, uh, Oklahoma State, if we just play Cowboys basketball, we'll be okay, right? It's so trite. However, Perk, you learned being a Celtic is different. Can you describe the what it means to be a Boston Celtic and a part of this organization and why it is different than just some of the sayings that are out there? Well, well, because it's one of the most historical franchises franchise in sports history, right? You're talking about the city of champions where you can't fool the fans, right? You can't fool the fans as far as, like, you know, false effort, and you can't fool the fans on how you go out there and compete. And it's a different type of pressure. Now, if you live up to expectations – you go always be appreciated for the rest of your life. But if you don't, then it's go you know, it's gonna be hell on wheels. So 
when I it, it's a difference, and I, I talk about that so much, and I talked about that in my book. Like, it's no disrespect to the other organizations I played with, but you don't realize what you got in the moment when you're playing for the Boston Celtics till you actually leave. And there's times that, you know, I would sit back now that I'm retired and I would see an old game from 2008 or 2009 or 2010 that would come on uh, ESPN, a classic game, and I'm sitting up there saying, dang, the garden was rocking. Like, that's me in the thick of things. Like, and you, you have a different appreciation. Even when I come back now and I'm covering games and I walk into that arena and it's rocking and I'm sitting up here saying it's just different. The energy is just different. The fan base is just different. And so that's what it means. But a person will never know until they actually put on the Celtic uniform. Fantastic stuff from Kendrick Perkins. The book is The Education of Kendrick Perkins. You can get it now. And, in fact, we're going to give away a couple of tickets to Perk's event tonight. Perk, thanks for the time. Good luck with the book. We appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can do a uh, return engagement come playoff time because (laughs) I think the Celtics are going to be playing a lot of playoff games this summer. I agree, and I'll be around. You know I could talk basketball all day. <laughs> we love it, Perk. Thank you, man. Right. We appreciate all you. Right, Good thanks. luck tonight with everything. There goes uh, the great Kendrick Perkins with us on the Harbor One Hotline. The book is called The Education of Kendrick Perkins. And if you want to go to the event tonight, Arts at the Armory in Somerville, be caller number nine to the contest line right now at 617-931-0937 for your chance to win two tickets to the education of Kendrick Perkins tonight at Arts at the Armory. Limited tickets are still available at Ticketmaster.com But right now, caller 9, you're in. 617-931-0937 And you know, Foyer, that answer at the end with Perk on the whole, you know, like what it means to be a Celtic. I know it's very trite. I know people throw that out there a lot. But to hear him say you gotta leave to really realize what it's like kind of drives home how special this region is when it comes to fandom. Yep, yep. And it's not just for basketball, too. It's for football. I think it's for baseball. I think it's for all the sports here. When, it's, when you talk about just a, a city that that is in, – I'll just call into the into the into sports. They're into sports. They're into the impact. They're into the games. They're into the players, right? That's, that's what – I forget about love affair. <laughs> Oh boy, <laughs> Foyer's dying on us now. <laughs> dying, dying Foyer. No, but to your point, you're right. Like you know, when you went to Washington, I'm sure it kind of drove home the fact that it was a little he, different know, there. It is funny. He said that. It, it, he's right. You don't realize how good you have it, even though it's challenging and it's difficult, and there's a lot of expected of you until you leave and you go to another organization. It just now. Not saying that there's some other ones that are great too. Of course. But the most of them suck, you know. There's like one aspect is good, one aspect is good, you know. And here it's like you know all the ownerships, you know, you know. You say what you want about John Henry, the Jacobs, whatever. Like the sports matter here, and that's that's why it's cool to play in this city. If your day sounds like we need the report ASAP, you deserve Medella. If you've persevered through, you deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more. Two more. 
You deserve this ice cold reward. Medela, the Markable Fighter. Trick responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You know, Richard Belzer just uh, died this week, and if you were to if you were to have like a biopic on the cars or something like that, that Belzer would have been the guy to play Rick Ocasek, in my opinion, given the way they look. I'm trying to remember who that is. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, I don't know who it is. No, no, I mean, no, it no. sounds familiar. To you. Oh, I know who you're talking about the guy's the lead singer of the Cars. No, I know that guy. Playing, but yeah, he was married to the yeah Richard Belzer. Yeah, Belzer was uh, John Munch on Law & Order and apparently played oh, that yeah. on like 10 different either series or whatever. It was pretty crazy. He was also the guy that uh, Fourier, just quickly as, uh, if you remember, uh, WrestleMania 1, Hulk Hogan also put the great Richard Belzer in uh, what they call a sugar hold. Really? Nice. And uh, Belzer passed out and hit his head on the floor and tried to play it off and then sued WWE and got a or a WWF then and Hulk Hogan and got a enough of a sizable amount of money that when he bought the home that Richard Belzer had in France, he named it Shea Hogan because of the money that came from that lawsuit. However, it promoted the hell out of WrestleMania and hence and WWF we went today. to the next level and Belzer won and all that kind of stuff. Okay. You always gotta learn how to choke people out. In different ways, in my this is, opinion, this is important. This is a, this is this is you learn the old sugar hold stuff. You learn the good uh, old it's things that I'm writing down that I'm going to look up when the show learn over today. to sugar uh, holds. Yeah, yeah. You just learn to uh, you learn to hook people in different ways. Joint manipulation, one yeah. would call it, maybe. The uh, you know you grab somebody All by can the, have multiple meanings. I'm grab just you grab somebody's wrist in the right spot, and oh boy, you can make somebody <laughs> squeal like a piggy. Um, Thank you, Terp. Um, our I'm friend, so, I'm literally all over the place today. I know you are. You, I, That's if, okay. If, if, you, if you don't know, we're all good. Because right now, I'm thinking about making a German pancake. Now that you, I don't even. Oh, shiny red ball! Exactly, exactly. I don't even. I don't even know if I want to ask. Listen, what, today uh, earlier this morning, a German just pancake for a is sounds early. like. Would you find that on? <laughs> you find that on Pornhub Premium, did you? <laughs> Listen to this. So earlier this morning, I was like, oh, I'm going to go upstairs. And I'm going to go get my, my phone charger, right? Uh. Go upstairs get, uh, with the intention of getting my phone charger. I ended up 
I ended up brushing my teeth instead. I go back downstairs. Like, God, what did I go upstairs for? I was like, Ah, oh, my. I'm going to go up to get my phone charger. So let me go get my phone charger. Then next thing I know, I'm like, wow, it's, it's hot in here. And I and I was like, turned the thermostat down because it was too hot in my bedroom. Went back downstairs. I was like, man, where's my phone charger? I was like, oh, yeah, I went to go get my phone charger. Go upstairs to get my phone charger. Man. See, it, um, this is a true story. I wish I would have videotaped it. I went up three times before I actually came down with what I intentionally went up for. Good grief. That, that is like insane. And my wife kept going, why do you keep going up and down the stairs? And she's like, I keep forgetting why. And it's the stupid ass freaking phone charger that I eventually got 20 minutes later. Couldn't you send one of the kids with the sniffles to go upstairs and get it for you? I don't know. They're all over the place. Who knows, man? Everybody's isolated. Can't count on them. No, no. They don't want to come near me either. Uh, So so our friend Tom Kern, who I know will be joining Jones and Mego at 3.30 this afternoon, uh, and he has said it here with us as well, that Listen, they're not punting on Mac Jones. And I know that Tom said it a little more vociferously. I do believe it was yesterday with Rich Eisen. Let me just ask you this. Whether it is someone at the Globe who we normally don't reference anything that they write on the whole, you know, in the building stuff and all that. I know Bedard wrote about how silly some of that stuff has gotten. Are we now at the point to where it is a smear campaign against Mac Jones, or is this just the odd offseason where he is in the crosshairs of the fans because people were so betwixt and between of how last year went? Yeah, I, I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like he is. It's almost like, all right, we're sick of Matt Patricia. Now let's 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 put the uh, the let's put a big target on his back. Like, and let's look and and like criticize and you know dissect everything about it because I asked a, a friend of ours that we mutually have you know when I saw the you know the Tom Curran hey almost like co-signing on an original kind of you know opinion about Matt Mac Jones being moved being traded mm-hmm. and like and then the whole like craft uh, says over my dead body but maybe next year so you keep it alive I asked him, I said does this happen in any other city does any other city that uh, that has a football team do they do the same thing to their players do they do the same thing to their to their to their coaches and to their quarterbacks two years in? I mean, is this is this just a Patriot thing? And the answer was yes. The answer was yes. It's like all those Super Bowls had made everybody freaking loony. And I, I 100% agree with them because who actually when did the Mac Jones being traded become a thing? Like when was he? When was his head on the chopping block? Yeah, I, I don't boy. get it. I, I when, when was it? Push it every week. Every day, Max I don't get it. trade him, yeah. I, I don't get it. No, it but just, I think the media is a part of it. nothing about his career that There's, says trade him. Well, I, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. Well, here's the thing, right, is that when you look at that group of, of quarterbacks that came in in Max's class, they ironed it out in Jacksonville, and Trevor Lawrence was regarded as to be the guy better than any of the other four quarterbacks. We knew that that, that was – kind of the narrative going in right yeah but think about it is there a smear campaign going on with zach wilson or has he earned he he has earned his criticism yeah he's earned it all right trey 100 trey lance is in a weird spot because he hasn't played he's been injury prone that team has had great success whether it's a super bowl or an nfc title game we know san francisco is pretty good I don't know if there's a smear campaign necessarily going on when it comes to Trey Lance. 
I think it's just natural that a lot of people don't believe in him because the guy can't stay upright. Yeah, and he hasn't had he hasn't even he hasn't even played in enough games to even let you know if he can do it. He hasn't failed enough. He hasn't succeeded. He hasn't gone through the you know the yo yo season that you know the ups and downs that most young players forget about positions, forget about quarterback. Just most young players have they they have highs and lows until they find like their their natural like you know level as far as what they can do consistently. All right, well, keep walking with me here because I want to get to Justin Fields. Okay. Because there are some who are in Chicago that are at least talking about, hey, man, we fell ass back. Like, we fell into the number one pick in the draft. That means we can reset this position where there are prospects coming out of the quarterback spot that are worthy of the number one pick. Is Is it... smearing the name of Justin Fields to consider potentially trading him to another team because you have the ability to take the very best quarterback coming out in college this year. So the, the, right when you said that, I was like, okay, when has this ever happened before? Right, when has a team drafted a quarterback, with a, they call it a top 15 pick because I can't remember what this guy was actually drafted, and then said, you know what, there's somebody better and we have a better pick, let's get this guy instead. And that was Josh Rosen and, uh, and Kyler Murray. Okay. That, okay, so he was drafted. You're like, okay, here come the Arizona Cardinals, new coach. Sure enough, they're, they're, they're terrible. He barely plays. They get rid of the coach. They bring in Cliff Kingsbury. They have the number one pick, and they go ahead and they draft Kyler Murray, and they trade Josh Rosen, and he really never plays ever. Breeze Rivers waste, maybe. But they – but uh, Breeze – Breeze hit free agency and was hurt. Yeah, the to- different situation. Fair. Rosen wasn't hurt. He just they just said, "Oh, they got him in the building." They were like, "This guy's a this guy sucks." There you go. And maybe it was less about he sucks, but this guy we know is better. So they said, "Let's cut bait." I don't think that's Justin Fields. I think that is a rare, rare occurrence where you spend so much time evaluating, interviewing, looking at film, trusting your scouts. You pick the guy in the first freaking round, crash. And then afterwards, you go, holy crap, you get him in the room, you get him in the building, and you work with him every day. You're like, oh, this guy's never going to get it. I think that's what's going on with the Jets. Obviously, they wouldn't be caught talking to Derek Carr. They re- they got him in the building, and they realized, oof, this guy, oh, at best, he's a backup. At best, he's a backup. Like, he needs a lot of work. He doesn't listen, and, and nobody likes him. Like, that's the, like, I don't think his teammates even like him. Like, he's just so dopey. So, um, so with Mac, it's just to me, it's so silly that, and I, and I would say, uh, be careful what you wish for, Patriot fans. You know, hot takers of the world. Think about the New York Jets and how long it took them to. It's they're still looking for a quarterback. Look at the Buffalo Bills. It took them forever to find a quarterback. Miami may have somebody. Maybe we're still not sure. Even with all those weapons, go around the league and look at those teams that have just been mired in dysfunction and failure. The Washington Commanders still don't have anybody, and they're still just going to struggle until they find somebody. So maybe Mac Jones is just serviceable. Maybe he's just a guy. I think that's good enough. I think that's good enough. If you're, isn't Kirk Cousins just a guy? I mean, the, the, I mean, guys puts up big numbers, hasn't won a championship yet, but maybe you blame it on coaching. I don't know. But he's definitely better than the alternative. Well, I think people just need to suck it up and deal with it. Well, and we're even at the point, I think, with some quarterbacks where people realize that Josh Allen in Buffalo is really good, but there's I haven't broken through. 
and made it to that, you know, made it to a Super Bowl and won the AFC. Now, people will look and say, well, you know, how how in the world are you going to mention Josh Allen in all of that? But in reality, that's how they built their team. They built around that guy. Baltimore was the same thing. You built around one guy. And if it doesn't work after a while, then it becomes, all right, what is it? Is it the, uh, is it the philosophy or is it the player? And I just think that – I think you hit on something, though, Fourier, which uh, is – What is it? There's only so much – there. How, how can I put that? There's only so much green slime or crapping on um, Matt Patricia that one can do. And with Bill O'Brien here, it sort of renews maybe a little bit of interest or a little bit of faith – And then it is the, okay, well, who's the guy that I can crap on? I can't crap on Belichick because he fixed the problem. So the only guy left has got to be Mac. That's the easy, it's the low-hanging fruit for people to go nuts over. And, And I think there's a fine line between legitimate questions about Mac Jones and turning it into, well, he's not good enough and he should, you know, he should be sentenced to death. Even a texter said, if you listen to Wiggy and Chime, it's the whole uh, Chime and Wiggy won't be satisfied until Mac is dead. That's out of the uh, 402. It's obvious hyperbole, but that's kind of where this is gone, that everybody has already made up their mind that this guy isn't the dude. And, well, well man, hold on. that is tough what is, to do coming know, out think of, about of Matt Patricia. So what is, what is the ceiling? So, like, when we say that dude, are we talking – you know, like the Patrick Mahomes, you know, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert level of no, that dude. There, there, is that, there is aren't that the a lot of those where, guys walking around. And, and I think that's the thing is that they're just – so many things have to go right for you to get that dude, right? Yeah, you, you have, have to stink. To, <laughs> well, well, yeah, because who had famously said, hey, uh, I think it was um, Mike Tomlin – and he was going against. I plan to get somebody. No, I like, know what hey. it was. I know what you're. Brandon Bean, the general manager of the Bills, said, "I don't want to. I don't want to be in a position to be able to draft Jamar Chase." Yeah, basically, yeah, we that, don't want to suck that bad that yes. we can get someone in the top six of the draft. Yes, yes, it's which is which is which is true, and you know, so I think that there's this, you know, timing has to be, uh, you know, on your side, and I do think there's an aspect of luck, like you can make. Like Brady, that was a luck. You were lucky. Like he, that position at that at that uh, slot in the draft, those guys don't turn out ever, ever to be great players. Let alone the best to ever do it for twenty three years. So there's an aspect of luck. Well, you can say, well, I did my due diligence. No, nobody knew. Nobody had a freaking clue what this guy was going to be capable of doing. So, and that's why teams like you look at like the Bills. They finally got it right after all those first round. I mean, Christian Ponder, um, uh, Logan Thomas, or I don't even know who else there was. There were so many different quarterbacks that they drafted. The Jets, the Dolphins, the Chargers, the Commanders. I mean, you name it. The Vikings, all of them. Chicago. I mean, Denver. What do you think Denver, Denver is still trying to find a quarterback since Peyton Manning left? Well, they got Russell Wilson. And they're still trying to find a quarterback since Russell Wilson left. There, Aren't they? You know what, In though? a way? You know what's interesting is when you think of Russell Wilson, they hired a coach to try to squeeze every little last bit of blood out of the rock that yeah. is Russell Wilson. And yet here it feels like there are some who are willing to just push Mac Jones right overboard. And look – 
there is fair criticism of the guy. Sure. But there's also a lot of context because we can go back probably 40 years in the NFL and we would never find as messed up an offensive coaching situation as the Patriots had last year. And that's well, saying something because there have been a lot of idiot head coaches in the NFL. I've been a part of some bad offensive systems. Um, but I think the, the what makes this one stand out more is that it's Bills. You just never mm-hmm. thought that, oh, sure, he would struggle and maybe he'd make some bad decisions, but he would fix it right away. No, he played it out. He let it fester. He let it keep going. He never made any changes. When other teams were firing their offensive coordinator, um, hell, look what the Indianapolis Colts were doing. Look what the Tennessee Titans were doing. Listen, it ain't working. What, they just, they just, he just wouldn't give up on it, and I think that has more to do with how loyal he is to the people who are loyal to him. That's what I think. I think, if anything, his, his loyalty to those guys was, it was the biggest – you know, detriment of his decision making. It no wasn't doubt. hubris. It, it was. It wasn't pride. It was loyalty. He would not throw him underneath the bus ever. We will, which I think ultimately killed him. We will get to Matt Patricia because he is not getting the defensive coordinator job in Denver. However, let's look at this for you. Okay. Odell Beckham Jr. had an Instagram post. I saw that where it was him and RKK, and they were kind of yeah. hugging it out. At the Super Bowl. His name uh, has not come up in a while, and I hated the way I'm I he already blocked me on Twitter. I really? hate oh yeah, because I, <laughs> I well I blasted him for I made a joke at uh, his expense on that whole plane video, and I got the old uh blockski, which is fine. He's got but like is, a million followers. What is he doing blocking you? But is that a guy that the Patriots should entertain? Again, fans will be like, ooh, sexy wide receiver and drop yeah. trow and be ready to go. Yeah. But is that a guy worth bringing in this locker room? Is there enough leadership and personality in this room to make sure that Odell Beckham's doesn't take over? No, nope, and no. First of all, I mean, that that's the type of signing that works for the best in the world the best in the business. You bring a guy like like that in, he instantly gets in line, does what he's supposed to do. I mean, like everything's perfect, right? And that ain't going to work here. There's not a chance. Like he won't if let's imagine if he doesn't get the ball, if it doesn't go right for him, and I don't even know if he's as good. He hasn't played in over a year, and then when he did play, he played for a hot minute, then got hurt in the Super Bowl. He didn't play at all last year. So, he's probably got something left in him, but I would say Find me a team that is uh, has enough money just to you know uh, like a hat that's like a luxury item. Like Odell Beckham Jr. is a luxury item with a lot of personnel support in the building. Like teams, like guys on the team who are playing are vouching for him. He's a good player. He can do this. He's not a cancer. He's not going to disrupt anything. He just wants to win. I'm vouching for him. And then if you have the money and you have the the space on the roster, you'll sign him. And he make he'll make some plays, but he's a number three. On a on his on a good day, isn't he? I think some still view him as a one, and when he's healthy, he's pretty damn good. I mean, he was playing pretty well know. for the Rams. But to your point, he's got to go to the right place to be successful. Meaning, it's not New England. I would. I think those days are over. Yeah, I would kind of. I would agree. Unless OBJ is going to do the whole, oh, I'll humble myself for you, Bill Belichick, and only take, you know, six million dollars or something. Then Bill might be like, well, you know. 
we can manage personalities here for that kind of price, considering what you might get uh, get out of the player. No Matt Patricia headed to Denver. So how does Bill Belichick get rid of him in this organization? <laughs> goals to win for Christ's sakes and you keep talking about the CBT you keep talking about prospects and your long-term goal like you just basically told us we ain't good enough we suck you let us down angry Lou, angry Lou. a hole the size of I don't even know what in that bullpen keep playing like dog recall by manager Lou go get me a goddamn first baseman that's what I want I don't want an outfielder D8 I need a first baseman okay Lou I'll ask you something what how do you go into the season without a closer? How do you not address the closer situation? Lou, what's up, dog? Good, how are you doing? Good. Well, it's always great to have you here, Lou. Speed it up! Oh, no, Speed no, it no, up. no, no! This is a... No, we, we don't want sped up Lou. We don't want sped up hardo Lou. We don't need... Oh, I'm sure we can find hardo Lou. I don't know about oh, yeah. sped up Lou. Oh, yeah. our, uh, our great friend, of course, who will uh, be a, uh, a part of the call today over on uh, 8.50 a.m. of the Red Sox against Northeastern. It is our pal Lou Merloni. He is brought to us by Shaw's and Star Market, perfecting the art of fresh. And, uh, well, Lou, let's start with you're in sunny Florida. Oh, you're yeah. in Fort Myers. How's the Applebee's treating you down there? Oh, I love it down here. The weather is fantastic. You know, Hurricane Ian kind of ripped through it a little bit, but it's recovered really nicely. I know people are coming down here. You can check it out. Visit fortmyers.com. You can see all the reopenings, the beaches, the beautiful white beaches that. are open. It's 88 degrees. Oh. Do what I do. Check out the waterfront dining, fresh seafood. Check out the dolphins, the manatees. It's it's fantastic. You're coming down with the family, and you can also check out a ball game. Lou, have you are you, are you doing what the Orsillo used to do? Are you running across that that giant bridge there in Fort Myers every day? Did you say running? I'm sorry. <laughs> did you say? Well, you listen, said running, right? I, you know, when Heim Bloom is down there, not only running five Ks no, in his no. off time, but he's also listening to podcasts on double the speed. I figured that even if you were, <laughs> even if you went like me and Fourier and went half speed on both, you'd be okay. No, 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 no. There's no running. I call timeout to get catch my breath when I get a double. Lou, <laughs> Lou, listen, real quick before we get into what's going on down there, uh, okay? Yeah. I just real quick, old school Hardo scale with Heim uh, Bloom making doing his like morning <laughs> run, listening to a podcast on double speed so we can get the entire podcast in on a scale of one to ten <laughs> ten being a julian edelman hardo <laughs> hardcore to the max where does high and bloom fall on the hardo scale with the sped up podcast well i mean I, I don't know if that's i think that's more weird than hardo probably middle of the pack in that five range now if he's out here with like a sock tied around his head and you know uh just some spandex shorts i think that's more of the hardo look right <laughs> Probably, which I didn't see. Can you I, imagine him with a eggs. sock tied oh, around gosh. his head, like running across that bridge at full speed? People would be like, that guy's running from the wall. I actually oh think, he, if he, I feel like he should make a bet, and next time he has that 6.30 a.m. run, he's got to wear that. <laughs> Spandex with no shorts over the top, too, Ooh, by the way. Yes. You know what? Straight up, like, dancer. Maybe yes. that's that's the road they could go down. Because, Lou, I know, like, in football, they always do, like, conditioning tests or whatever. But maybe for future Red Sox that miss the conditioning test, yep. they have to run with Heim every morning. Yep. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Keep Dawn up with Patrol. your GM. Yeah. Yeah, hurry up. Their own version of Dawn Patrol. Oh. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, so uh, Lou, uh, we're gonna get some real action today. Yeah. I know it is against the. Uh, uh, listen, it's the first in in a lot of ways. There's 
There's like the first day of school, and then there's like the first test. And not that this is a major test, but being able to see these guys out there has got to be a good thing. I know the lineup is already out. What sort of what what is it like here? On I guess let me just be lazy and contradict myself and say it's kind of like the first day of school for these guys. They're in the lineup. What is it like for a big leaguer just getting out there and going against somebody that isn't on your team? For them, it's just really work. Like, you're right. The WBC guys are going to get two at-bats, which is nice for us. So they'll stay in the game for a while here. but Because they got to get some at-bats uh, before they get off to the WBC and join their country. So they're going to be on there. So we're going to have some starters. But I think you're just tired of facing live BP and batting practice and taking ground balls. You kind of – baseball season can be a groundhog day. You know, wake up, do the same thing, do it again. And you, you quickly want to get comfortable doing that, right? So – uh, these guys, I'm sure it's going to be good to have at bats. It's it's really a no win situation, you know, for the pros um, because you go out there, you have to win this game. You're supposed to be getting hits, but I think for the most of the guys that are in this lineup today, they're well aware that they're trying to get as comfortable as they possibly can early on. Yeah. So okay. So since you're down there, boots on the ground, Lou. Yeah. Give me like a, who's catching your eye? Like who's catching uh, Lou's eye right now, based on the the time that you've been down there. Well, you know, I, I don't spend a lot of time watching the guys I know. Like, why do I need to watch Devers take BP? I know he's good. You know, so why, why do I do that? So I watch Yoshida a lot. Like, he's actually very impressive. I mean, it's batting practice, right? So see how it translates. But there's so much pop in his bat. I, I don't – I never imagined that he'd be able to drive the baseball the way he's in the ball on the top of the batter's eye in batting practice, which is just stupid juice. Um, so there's more of the guys I haven't really seen before, like the kids say down, Rafael, I've been following a lot, like the young prospect and watching him swing it and um, more than really anything right now. You know, it's it's early on. You take what you take out of batting practice. Try to get your first look at guys. Yeah, Lou, uh, when you d- talk about a guy like Yoshida, yeah. you go in eyes wide open. What are some of the things that you were looking for, even just setting eyes on this guy around the cage? And what has jumped out to you just in the limited that you've seen this guy? The power jumps out right away, but really it's kind of like the approach. Um Remember, like, J.D. Drew was a guy that drew a lot of walks and saw the ball real well, and it's a very similar soft kind of approach. Uh, everything's under control. You can see where, you know, he probably sees the ball real well, identifies strikes, which is the reason why, like, his on-base percentage has been so high in the past. And so you, you hope that things like that translate. The one question always when you come from Japan is can you handle velocity? And from the scouting, they looked at it and watched him throw, get, go up against guys that throw hard. Not many of them over there. But when he did face velocity, he actually uh, upticked in average, you know, and, and looked very comfortable. So I think that's something they felt really good about. So I was watching uh, Nesson a little bit last night, and they, uh, Jim Rice was helping a Yoshida kind of take some reps off the wall out there in left field, like the mini, you know, Fort Myers uh, green monster. Yep. Um, it seemed like he just adjusted pretty well. Like, how difficult is it for a guy uh, coming to a, a new team, right, and then having to kind of manage, you know, that wall and all the angles and all the you know difficulty that that it uh, uh, that it can give you. You know, there's there's a few things like the Jimmy's out there with him right now during BP and just when the ball hits the wall, don't get too tight to the warning track so it bounces over your head. Know that it's going to maybe bounce in certain spots towards center field. Get in positioning, anticipate. But I always felt like the toughest part. I mean, listen, if it's over your head, turn around. You know, and just play it off the wall. The hardest part is that you're pretty shallow. You know, at Fenway Park in left field and and. What line drives to go get? What line drives to stay back on? You know, because it's just the, the ball's on you so much quicker. So I feel like that's like a big adjustment for left fielders. So so the, the question I have, and this may be a stupid question, but no stupid questions nope, here on this show none. now, Lou. Okay, Not, Nope. Okay, is 
I, I how do they? Is somebody hitting the ball? Is there like a jugs machine for a baseball like that they use to kind of give those? Because there's the high loopers, there's the high, there's the line drives, and each one promotes a different angle, you know, off the wall. Like how how do they practice that aspect of it? Yeah, they'll just hit the fungos out there. These guys are pretty good at okay. it. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. I, I want to hit a line drive off the wall. Yeah. yeah, fly ball off the wall. They're, they're pretty. They're not perfect at it, right? But I think you want a ball kind of off a of bat. They have the machines too, which I think if they just want to get it more rapid, they can do it that way. Lou Maloney with us from down in Fort Myers. And uh, by the way, I've screwed up. First game on 850 isn't until next month. I know Lou right. is doing some nesting work down there. Brian Bayo got shut down. On February seventeenth, I think it was. Um, now we're at a week later. Where where are we at on Bayo? And should we all back here be concerned that they had to shut the guy down once he started throwing down there? They don't seem concerned about it. He threw the other day, kind of like just on flat ground, meaning just basically out in the outfield. So he's going to be throwing a bullpen, I believe, maybe tomorrow okay. um, or Sunday. Uh, one of those things, and I think they just anticipate that they're moving forward now. Now he's you know. He, you know, in spring training, it's a six-week camp. You miss one week. You know, you are a little bit behind, but you can always manipulate that and have him be the fifth starter type of thing, too, to get him ready. So I don't think there's any concern right now. Um, I would be just just focusing on what he, how he feels after these next couple of bullpens. So the other guy, the other name that kind of stands out uh, that a lot of people are anticipating watching is Justin Turner. Um, what have you have you seen him at all? Like, is this, what, what's the, any updates with him and what's he going to be doing? What position he's going to be playing? He's working at first base a lot with Cassis. Um, you know, he can just swing it. You know, it's, it's pull side stuff. You know, pull side power with him, which is good at Fenway Park. And same thing with Duvall. So for him, it's just he, he's a unique guy that I think he comes in here. And even though he hasn't been in Boston, I actually consider him stepping in. It might take a little bit of time, but to me, he's a leader. You know, he's a leader of this team. He's been around a long time. He knows what it takes. He knows the routine, how to go about it. So. He's going to be playing, a, I think, a big role in that locker room today, this year. Well, who who is with Xander leaving? Yeah. By contract, you would think the natural baton would be passed to Devers. Yeah. Although I don't know if he's ready for that leadership role. And if it takes a while for Turner to kind of, you know, get into the mix, who's in charge in that clubhouse? Feels like Kike's well, trying to jump in those shoes. Yeah. Yeah, I think he is. I mean, the staff is fine. You know, the staff's got plenty of guys there, whether it's Sale and Kluber and Paxton and Pavetta that have been around a long time, and guys like Jansen and Martin and the Penn. But at that position player group, you're right, Kike kind of took that step forward. I considered you know, uh, Justin Turner to be one of those guys as well. And you know, even a guy like Arroyo, like you need one of those guys on your team. And, you know, I don't know, we'll see. Hopefully he can play a lot of games this year. But, you know, he keeps things loose. You know, he jokes around an awful lot. So I think you're going to see a lot of that. Duvall's a guy that's been in the league a while, so it's – you don't have that one guy. You know, it's going to come from a lot. Lou, uh, is this roster minus a major injury, obviously, is this roster pretty much set, or do you think in two weeks, Heim Bloom might go, uh-oh, I should have listened to Marloni and loaded up on middle infielders? <laughs> no, I, I think it's right now, It's it's this is what it is. You know, um, there's a few bench roles. You know, a guy like Alfaro, do they keep three catchers because he can play first and DH and pinch hit, those types of things. And who's the fourth outfielder? Does a guy like Tapia find himself, you know, on this roster? He was from Toronto last year. So some of those roles, I think, need to be defined. Um, you're right. It, it's thin. And the question is, like, especially the middle of the infield, that first month of April, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully Mondesi, you know, joins this club at some point at the end of April, early May. And now you've got three guys to rotate through that middle of the infield. 
But uh, in April, it can be a little bit thin if you get a rash of injuries. All right, so we're talking to Lou Merloni, obviously. Um, and Lou, I want to get your opinion of this because there was an article in The Athletic where they where they talked to, uh, they did like a whole, uh, where they talked to 29 GMs and scouts, and they asked them a bunch of questions, and, and two things stood out to me, and I'm wondering if you think this is a cause for concern or worry, where the two most improved teams on, on, one, on this list, two teams were in your own division, Toronto and Yankees, two of the most improved teams, Lou. They were already good last year. Now they also gave them most improved in a year where they were already good. And the least improved team was uh, your number uh, was the Red Sox getting 11 out of 29 votes. What do you make of that? I mean, is that just like you were already felt like they were up against it anyways, and two of the best teams in the division got better, and now everybody's telling me that the Red Sox got worse. Yeah, and you know, it's it's. I just felt like last year everybody underperformed. You know, in the entire lineup. So whether they're just sort of basing it on that, we're focusing on guys, you know, that have left. You know, I I don't really care about the preseason rankings. You know, we're talking so much about Bogey and JD and Vasquez leaving, but we're not talking about getting Franchi out of the outfield. We're not talking about getting Duran out of center. We're not talking about getting Bobby Dahlbeck and Franchi off first base. You know, enough. Like those are going to be vast improvements. You know, with these guys and this rotation right now, like when I watch these guys, you know, I've always said, like, if healthy, they should be able to compete with a playoff you know, for a playoff spot. And right now, when I watch them, I'm like, yeah, this is what we're talking about because the lineup is there, the rotation is deep. The only question is, when do the injuries come? You know, and how many are there? And can they cover it? Right? So if they have a rash of injuries, they're going to be in trouble, you know, like they had last year. Um, but if they can remain healthy and get a little bit lucky in that regard or stagger some injuries, one guy goes down for a month, another guy goes down for a month, then they can hang in there. I uh, I just saw a tweet, Lou, from Chris Cotillo, yeah. who said, Red Sox pitchers today, uh, Audenir, Mosqueda, yep. Durbin, Feltman, yep. Chase, Shugard, and Taylor Broadway. It sounds like it's completely made up. <laughs> it's basically your AAA bullpen is what it is. Okay. Yeah, that's what you're going to feature today. The starters, the lefty guy is kind of intriguing. We'll see what he can be like. But uh, that's it. But I'm just, you know, again, World Baseball Classic. I mean, we've got, you know, five, six, seven guys. You know, Casas is in there as well. So it's at least it's like a it's a major league roster, and we know we're going to get three or four or five innings of them. So that's nice. Are you uh, a pro World Baseball Classic guy or not? Yeah, I am. I am. I mean, I think it's pretty cool watching Dominican play in Puerto Rico and Japan and the United States. I mean, these teams are loaded, right? It doesn't get as much fanfare as maybe it should. Maybe baseball people are into it, but you know, you're seeing some of the best in the world kind of competing in a, in a very strange tournament, at least timing-wise. Hey, when you were at PC, did you guys have the big league team that you played against like Northeastern no. is today? No, so you had none of that. No, we didn't. As a matter of fact, when I was here in Boston, we used to play Boston College, and then they started playing both. But now it's just Northeastern. It's, it's fun for the guys, you know, the kids, especially at Northeastern, something they remember forever. The players, you know, the pregame, sitting around the club, uh, the uh, batting cage, hanging out with them, talking with them. And, but as far as the players go, it's one of those games where it's like, I just want to get at bats and, and, and move on, right? Mm. Our great uh, friend Lou Merloni, he'll be, uh, of course, doing stuff on Nesson, and you'll hear him here uh, all during Red Sox season, and he will be with us each and every week, at least we think, and we're excited about that. Lou, thank you, buddy. We appreciate it. Have a good, uh, have fun today. All right, boys. Have a good day. Right, there we go. The sun. There goes yeah. our friend. You jerk. <laughs> Y'all, listen to you. Uh, there goes our great friend, Louis Merloni, and of course, he is also brought to us by visitfortmyers.com. The islands, the beaches, the neighborhoods for all the latest. Go to visitfortmyers.com. 
Com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.